Hey everybody, this is Matt Wakeling and you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you're safe and well wherever you are in the world. Now today for episode number 141, our friend Adam Miller rejoins us on the show. Now I first met Adam about three years ago through the Sydney Guitar Festival and in April 2018 he appeared on episode number 80 of the podcast and we spoke about his career in depth up until that stage. Now, Adam's had a pretty exciting couple of years, so it's been very cool to get him back on the show. He's got a fantastic new album called Unify, which is out, which we talk about. Now, this new album's very much inspired by his relocation. Adam and his wife relocated from Newcastle on the east coast of Australia over to California on the west coast of the United States. So it's pretty cool tracing, tracing those steps. So, yeah, we talk about the album what it's like to find his feet in a, in a whole new nation, uh, being part of the Two Rock family. Heaps of cool stories coming up in this interview. Now, Adam's got a guitar in hand, and he demonstrates some of the, the cool parts from the, from the record as well. So let's jump straight into it. Adam Miller, welcome back to the Guitar Speak podcast. Oh, my pleasure for being here. It's so awesome to be back. Man, I was super uh, excited to, to hear about your new record and really thrilled that you'd gotten in touch. Um, so that's great. I think the last time we spoke was when um, you released The Defining of Success. So that was back in 2018. Yeah, correct. Man, and the new album Unify, it seems like a lot of it's wrapped up in your um, move to the States, to the United States of America from Newcastle yeah, in the last exactly. couple of years. Wow. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, inspired by that whole journey of packing up life and um, still chasing the dream, at, you know, in my late 30s. So it's uh, definitely a big part of all the music and the inspirations on it. That's awesome, man. That's so cool. Maybe we should talk about that first then, the move. Yeah. And what surrounded yeah. it and, and that'll tie in with the, um, with, with the album. So talk me through it. What was the... What was the initial spark of this for you? Uh, I guess sort of been thinking about it for a long time. And, you know, I had the work visa for the US. The visa you have to get to be able to play a show full stop yep. means that you can live there while you have it. So, um, but I'd sort of been putting it off because I had a really good university teaching job. Yeah. <laughs> so that's sort of just you know, funded life while I was in Australia and then allowed me to uh, travel and tour. But that sort of all finished up at the end of um, 2018, okay. I think, was it? Yeah. Yes. And so it just sort of left me in a bit of a limbo of um, just where to go and what to pursue. So the only sort of way forward was um yeah to just sort of take it all on in the US and try and make the most of uh sort of being on the ground there uh i guess like the biggest thing i realized it's sort of unfortunate and um is that when you're <laughs> i don't want to totally generalize but i will is that americans think australia is really far away yeah like like so far and it's such an ordeal to travel and I, I kind of always said to people hey yeah I live in Australia but I can be in the US tomorrow yes if there's something on if there's tours supports gigs just let me know I can be there 
but no one really got that. Uh So it sort of meant I really had to be on the ground there for a while to cement some things and, you know, jump into new territory and opportunities. Sure, sure. And Mm. the process, the the idea I get, it's quite an involved process to, um, to develop. So you, you, like we spoke about last time and you just mentioned you had the the visa to work is it another process again to uh, be able to live there for an extended period um it's not really once you have that like basically just turn up and don't leave cool so Um, you already had you already had a lot of that groundwork done yeah so that was fine it was more just the fact of then when you're in a whole nother country's financial system and i'd never had a u.s bank account I'd managed to sort of cash checks before I came back to Australia from tours Mm -hmm. and just change it back to Australian dollars and, um, uh, or keep a little dodgy, you know, envelope filled with my U S savings to avoid, you know, the, uh, changing of currencies. Um, so yeah, just things like that, like going to have to set up a bank account and, then realizing like how much credit scores affect things and then realizing that we couldn't get a place to rent because we didn't really have rental history and didn't have, um, yeah, like this credit score thing that, you know, is your whole world in the U S and takes about a year to build up before you even have it. So there are a few shocks, life shocks that I just didn't really consider before moving. When, when people like are moving to Australia or, or trying to get work here, you know, there's the idea of being sponsored by an employer. Yep. Um, is there any connections that you had to do or are you just go turning up as a sole trader essentially? Oh, yeah. The legalities are grey. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You, I, I have a visa sponsor. Right. Uh, you, you have to have a visa sponsor. It's not just turning up by yourself. There is a visa you can get which basically just means you have a lot of money and it's designed for really for celebrities to be able to move to the US. Okay. Um, but I didn't qualify for that. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, ha- I have an American visa sponsor, but they really have nothing to do with my day-to-day life and okay. getting gigs. So sure. it's really, you know, the same business as being a musician in Australia, just in a different country and it's just a, a different process of the day-to-day life side of it, I guess. Yeah, sure. So you went yeah. over there with your, your partner and yeah, um, my wife, Holly, yeah. your wife, Holly. Yeah. Awesome. And you've, um, I mean, you've, you've been there plenty of times, both, both sides of the U S and, um, yep. I know you've, you've done heaps of gigs and all, and all that kind of stuff there, but, um, when you rock up there, so you and Holly and, um, some guitars? How, how, what guitars did you take? <laughs> yeah, straight into guitar talk. It's much more, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, much more fun. The, the, um, the important you know, issue on, is what guitars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I took the two electric guitars that I'm most associated with, the, the Tele, yeah. uh, thin line Tele that I built from parts quite a number of years ago now, and my signature Nick Huber model. Uh-huh. And... And I took an acoustic with me as well. And so that's um, that's sort of what I had for the year there outside of a couple of guitars I got lent okay. for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And you are on the West Coast, is that right? Um, yeah, we tried to base ourselves predominantly in Los Angeles. Yep. 
um, just because it does feel like home. I, I really find LA is very similar to Newcastle, okay. which people, you know, will find weird, especially like, you know, Sydney siders that never seem to have never actually come to Newcastle in the ever, maybe, right. which I know a lot have. Um, but it's, you know, just sort of, it's like sort of this place where you get to LA and I'm going to say Newcastle is probably the same, where if you don't know where to go, you turn up and you just go, this place is terrible. I don't get it. <laughs> but then once you know a few people and know the right place to hang out and the right, you know, bar or pub to go to, then it just becomes this whole next level of a great community. And, um, and LA especially just starts to feel a lot smaller and you forget about the whole Hollywood side of it and okay. all that sort of things. And it's, yeah, it's, it's very homely. So we based ourselves there, but we did spend a lot of time on the road. So we never, like, we didn't have a place for the time we were there. We were just sort okay. of living in a place for two or three weeks yeah. And then we would move out, go on tour for three or four weeks, come back, find somewhere else. So it was it was a very vagrant lifestyle for a while. Wow. And were you digging it or was it challenging? Uh, oh, look, Both? it always has its challenges. Yeah. But I think the, the adventure of a lot of it kept us going and yeah, kept us sort awesome. of motivated. And, um, you know, we'd always set up our lives in a way that to be able to live out of a suitcase. Yeah. yeah. And and just with a few guitars and so it um yeah it came together it came together pretty well but it was definitely um yeah it was an incredible an adventure through that time so gigs are you drawing on past contacts you've already had yeah definitely through touring it was um so when i got there i had you know a few months interspersed lined up of shows okay uh, yeah but I also intentionally didn't try and book everything. Yeah. It was, it was also just trying to have some time on the ground to connect with people and really just see what happens because that's the thing I haven't had time to do in the past. Sure. Uh, yeah. I've been touring the US like consistently like two, three, four times a year since yeah. 2010, yeah, I think. Wow. Wow, yeah. And it's, so it was, but when I'm there, it's like, go, go, go. You're just trying to fit as many shows in, in as many, in as fewer days as you can. So you're not spending a huge amount of money in traveling and accommodation. So, yeah. So it was, that was the real difference in this time is actually being able to have some space and take time and work my way somewhat into a new scene. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess like the biggest thing was that we, so when we went over in early January and, you know, that was basically turned up at the NAMM show in Anaheim. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's always an amazing hang and it's a great networking thing as well. Yeah. Basically, you know, while it is a trade show of companies, there's every musician everywhere is there. And so just being able to be on the ground and say, hey, yeah, I'm here now, uh, was really amazing. And a lot of opportunities developed out of that. And then the other huge thing was that week, it was actually, I got the phone call about this after, on the day we landed and I was having the afternoon jet lag nap. 
where you're completely messed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and um, I saw I had a missed call on my phone from my friend Mason Stoops, who's um, a little bit of a Instagram guitar sensation in yeah, a way, but yeah, he's sure. an incredible musician and yeah. most recently uh, has been playing in Jackson Brown's band, actually. Oh, really? Wow. I didn't know he's doing yeah. that. That's cool. So, um, but anyway, he runs this event in LA, which is notorious called Guitarco. Uh-huh. And um, he ran a huge NAMM edition and asked me to be a part of it. And so uh, that was insane because it was just every guitar player like I'd ever heard of was in the audience or I was playing with them. It basically, I guess to paint the picture, it was in the back of a coffee shop Mm -hmm. somewhere near Anaheim. I can't really remember. Um, And so Mason set up um, two sets. The first set, uh, so with bass and drums and then four guitar players. Uh Uh-huh, cool. Um, And so, oh, five actually, five guitar players. And the first five were all LA locals. And then the second five were out of towners, and he put me in that set, seen as though I wasn't out of towner at yeah, that point. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. How do you? Yeah. So five guitar players. How do you get your point across without getting your point across five other players? You know, how do you work in that situation to be a, okay. a win-win? Well. <sighs> There is no way if no if the, and this is the thing about these nights they're very much because they're curated by Mason yeah he picks guitar players that he knows have a sensibility about them mm-hmm. so in my set it was myself Mason um, Horace Bray who's uh, another bit of a like Instagram sensation guitar player I guess. Uh-huh. Um, Especially like does a lot with the pickup jazz, oh, okay, um, okay, site and that sort of thing. Ariel Posen was next to me. Oh wow, awesome! Uh, and Charlie Hunter. Charlie Hunter, what a nice connection. Had you guys met before? Yeah, Charlie and I have been good friends for a long time now. Okay. So um, yeah, because I remember yeah, you, so it was maybe talking about him. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a huge influence on me, yeah. like personally and career wise. But so. Being around those guys, no one was trying to prove everything. And the other thing is all the, the whole thing is improvised. Like there was no set list. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, yeah, before we <laughs> we were asked to submit songs to play, like just maybe everyone lead our song. Okay, yeah. And I, I remember on the night I got there and realized no one had submitted any but me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So we did end up playing, I think, two of my songs, and then the rest were just, you know, sort of old soul R and B standards. So and so there was no idea; it was just like someone started it, and then it just went. That's cool. Yeah, nice. yeah. So that was a pretty magical night, and it's just um, and it just led to so many opportunities because so many people saw me play that night. Okay. Yeah. That that either especially in the US, had never heard of me or had associated me back with more my solo acoustic guitar days rather okay, than yep. playing an electric guitar, which is two very different worlds in the US. Okay, yeah, interesting. Because um, the defining of success was largely a trio album and the new mm. album, Unify, same 
same kind of setup, guitar, yep, bass, drums. Same thing. Which yeah. um, seems to be, yeah, a big part of your voice. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely, I think it's just more that that's the music I prefer to listen to. Okay, it's, yep. that That's simply what it is. And I do like playing solo, and a lot of my touring is still solo. Yep. Um, and then I did release like an EP of a few of the songs off the Defining of Success last year. There were just solo acoustic versions of yeah, them yeah. for people that wanted to hear that. But um, yeah, I just I just love the sound of drums and bass. Yeah, yeah, so good. <laughs> awesome. Was the new album? Was that? I think it was mostly recorded over there. Yeah. Yep. Nice. We um so yeah so throughout the year what basically we um we're we're in LA till. July, so about six months, and then we had to come home for a couple of things back to Australia. Uh, then I went back just by myself for two months because I had a number of shows and things to do. Mm-hmm. Came back sort of um, towards the end of the year, um, and I'd I'd actually tried to record the album when I was there for the two months, but no one schedules would align and it just, it just fell apart. So I ended up flying to LA just for a week before spending Christmas in Australia to, uh, to get it all tracked down. And so it was mainly done there, but you know, being classic guitar player, I did come home and redo a few of the guitar parts. Sure. Sure. Tell, tell me about your rhythm section. Those guys are killer. Yeah. So, um, Starting with drummer, so Justin Glasgow. Uh, Justin, I met at that guitar co show. Okay. Um, he was just who Mason had been working with him quite a bit. And so he was the drummer on that night. And we just got along really well. So <laughs> that was that was great. Um, he uh, has spends most of his time actually as a producer. Okay. And as a recording engineer. So he does a lot of... Um, cool stuff in LA and he's moved around quite a lot too. And he'd sort of just moved back to LA at that time. So that was, um, that was great. And we, he, he's a phenomenal drummer and he's played on some massive things. Like, um, one of the ones that just shocked me was, um, uh, I'm trying to, sorry, I'm trying to think of who, uh, the song is called a thousand years and it was in twilight. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. And I, I only know it because my sister walked down the aisle to that song at a wedding. Okay, yeah, but, yeah. But, yeah, you know, while we were recording the album, something came up. So, I don't know, anyway, but found out that he played the drums wow. and the bass on that session. And the bass. Wow. That big 6-8 kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, man. That's cool. So that's just one example. I actually have no idea of his full credits, but I'm sure there's more insane stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, sort of working my way into the whole LA scene, I, um, Justin invited me randomly just to this jam session that these bunch of guys have at one of the guys garage. And so, um, I went on a massive, I, cause I was living on the other side of LA. It's, I think it took me an hour and a half to get there. Okay. <laughs> it was, it was like, he's like, yeah, we're meeting in about half an hour. And I was like, oh, so I looked at public transport and that was going to take two hours and 45 minutes. And, 
So I jumped in an Uber and then that was still an hour 30. So I got there pretty late. <laughs> but um, so that was at uh, the bass player on the album's house in the end. Okay. His name is Joel Gottschalk. Um, and Joel, I guess, biggest gig to date was playing. Um, he was Philip Sace's bass player oh, for awesome. forever. Up until only like a year or two ago, I think. Um where he kind of settled more with a family in LA. So, um, yeah. So Joel's just got this attitude to the way he plays bass. Um, it's, it's amazing. Like he's just, you know, he's just there and gives a hundred percent all the time. So, um, and once again, we just got along like old friends. So just chatting and hanging out. And so, yeah, they're the guys that I ended up sort of, getting to do most of my trio shows around LA pending availability, of course. Yeah, sure. Uh, and yeah, then when I went to do the album, it was just because, you know, they were the ones that I'd been hanging out with the most. They were first choice. I, I love the trio idea because it gives, it gives you a lot of harmonic space, but also the bass, a lot of, a lot of room to, to move around as well. I, I've enjoyed that on the last couple of records a lot. Yeah, uh, well, I think especially, and this goes back to the whole Charlie Hunter influence, I guess, uh-huh. for me, is that the bass is so much a part of what I hear as a listener, and I love giving it, I, I like bass players that are busy, but their tonality sort of doesn't get in the way of the guitar, if that makes sense. Yeah, so for sure. I'm always encouraging bass players to play more. <laughs> You've got to be the only guitar player in, in the, the Western world doing that, but I'm glad you are because I love it. Yeah, it's it's just such a cool thing to sort of hear and like especially, yeah, like when you listen to Charlie Hunter's records, the bass is fairly busy, like what he's doing with his thumb, yeah. but it just gives it all this movement that you can't achieve via, you know, a guitar or an organ or something over the top. Yeah. Yep, sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's really that's really fun. Let's um let's talk about some of the songs. The Yeah, sure. Defining of Success had all one word titles. You've got a couple yeah. of two word titles. There's even a three word title, but a lot, <laughs> a lot of short ones. Does do the titles chronologically tell your story? Ooh, chronologically. Uh no. No? Okay. <laughs> Cuz I mean leaving is number 3, so yeah, no, no, I couldn't work it out that that sure, well. Sure. It's funny when you're making an album, especially now. Yeah, um, it's gone back to working out how it will fit on vinyl. Okay, yeah. So, cool. um, yeah. So, the, in fact, the final song list is probably not what it would have been exactly if, or song order, I should say if it had just been a digital or CD release. So okay, wow. I actually jigged it so it would be, so it'd fit on vinyl and then I would have the same track order when you got it on CD. Cause okay. the last album wasn't, I had to leave the song off and I had to change the song order on the vinyl. And that sort of frustrated me oh, okay. in a way. For sure. Yeah. So you're dealing with like two sides. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like that's the, the thing is, um, you know, a vinyl, maximum is 22 minutes aside okay uh and that's you know sort of keeping the volume down 
so it might not be as loud as a like pumping rock vinyl. And I think the last two albums have ended up that they basically are like, and this is a fluke. This just happens like really when I get to the end. I'm not thinking about it the whole time. But, you know, both albums are, ba- are basically like 21 minutes and 50 seconds per side. Okay, wow. So they only just fit. <laughs> Maybe just yeah. that aesthetic has just sunk into you subconsciously so you just know when to wrap up well, a side or something. That's that's crazy. Yeah, it's because, it's I, you know, I try to keep songs shorter on records. I, you know, I've, I did an album where everything was like 10-minute songs and then I just recently have just gone, oh, I'll just try and keep it all shorter. But, yeah, it's funny. Like, I think a few of the songs actually did get, you know, a, a solo section taken out just because I thought it was too long. But if I'd left those things in, it wouldn't have fit on vinyl. So. Okay. Yeah. So to answer your question, no, it's not a chronological order. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about um, – well, I'm, I'm just going to call out a few tunes, I guess. Adam, yeah. Adam Levy. Um, yeah. Oh, man, I love Adam Levy. I met him – I've never met him. I met him through Guitar Player magazine reading his – just his writing. Oh, nice. And it just seemed such really heartfelt. Then I heard him on the Nora Jones records and then his own stuff and I know he's doing stuff with, with Mason now as well. Um, so I've not met the man but I've just yeah. – you know, there's these different – Insights, and then I hear your your tune. What what's what's that about? How how do you know Adam? How does he get a a piece named after him? Okay, so Adam, I met at a small bar in Fairfax, California, which is North Bay, um, sort of like so San Francisco Bay Area, um, sort of hippie town, and it was at a small acoustic night that was run by one of the editors of acoustic guitar magazine. And, um, I met him there that night and I played like we kind of, you know, did our own little sets as part of this thing. And we just got along really well again. Um, and I was a huge fan, so that probably helped. Um, and then I think I went and saw him play a number of times in New York when he was living there. And, uh, yeah, we'd meet up for coffee and just um, hang. We'd never really play guitar together, mm-hmm. funnily enough. And um, and it's just, just our friendship has grown over the years. Like he's one of the uh, – well, he's the only musical friend of mine from around the world that's actually been to a house where I lived in Australia. Okay. <laughs> so, that. you know, that's, that, that's pretty tight. Yeah, yeah. Um, we did do a show in Newcastle together oh, maybe five or six years ago. Okay. Wow. Cool. Um, which was quite amazing when he was on tour here with someone else and I saw it, I just went, Hey man, you've got a night off, come up <laughs> from Sydney. And so, so that was great. Um, so yes, huge, great friend, um, huge influence, uh, once again, on me from the point of view of his playing, but also how he conducts his career. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, the way he can go from playing like with huge artists one night on huge stages to playing a coffee shop at 7.30 a.m. the next morning. Uh-huh, yeah. Unamplified with an acoustic guitar. Uh, you know, I, 
I love that about him and I love that it's all about the music in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. So um so it wasn't intentional to write a song for him. We I played it was one of these other cool things that you could only do in LA, um, which was a similar organized jam session um that was called Boba Jam. And it was at a Boba tea store. And I, I don't know if Australian listeners will even know what boba tea is. No, don't think so. What's what's that? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. It's, I I didn't have one. I always got like, you know, the the cold brew coffee there. But it's like these cold drinks and it's got these giant black bubbles in it. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, boba tea, it's a thing. It's wow. in it's in Hollywood movies and uh, <laughs> TV shows and the kids all all love it. So um boba jam happened on thursdays at 10 a.m 10 till 12 and it was run by uh shania twain's guitar player joshua ray gooch and so he would just call a bunch of friends and and get them to play and so the week i played was um a great drummer bass player keys player Joshua on guitar and Adam and myself on guitar and another completely improvised gig. Actually, that one is totally improvised. Joshua doesn't like even playing standards. He just likes starting something. Wow. And seeing That's what cool. happens. So, um, they were, they were, that was a really incredible day. And like even the first song, like everyone just finished and went, Whoa. Cause it was really beautiful and slow and, you know, it wasn't what you think a jam session is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so we we're all in this moment of just going, wow. And then there was a massive earthquake. <laughs> and we were, it was outside, so it was okay. But like the wow. whole of Los Angeles rocked like a boat. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so I don't, it sort of added to the magic of this day. Okay. And, and, yeah, so I'm really drawing this story out. Sorry, it's a great story, man. It's got it's got natural disasters. It's got yeah, it's it got was, the funny it just, tea. It was, <laughs> it was just incredible. So then Adam, yeah, the last song we played of the day, Adam started, and he played that chord progression, which was it's the first chord progression of the song, which is that F major seven. I've got my guitar with me. Sorry, yeah, that's E seven. Uh, A minor seven to C seven. And, um, I just love this chord progression. It just felt so Adam to me. So I just, I just kept playing it afterwards cause it was so fun to improvise over. And then it just sort of morphed. I got a melody over that. And then, you know, to keep writing the song, I just sort of stole all these things that I know Adam puts into his compositions, mm-hmm. w- whether they're his instrumental stuff or like stuff he's written for Nora. It, so, yeah. And then because it just always had the working title of the Adam Levy song, it just, that's, that's how it stuck. Oh, and, that's cool. Uh, yeah. You know, it's been out. Uh, I think about three weeks now since I released it as we're doing the podcast, the single of it. And um, 
you know, so many people have um, messaged me just saying, man, I just see Adam Levy when I hear that song. It's amazing. Yeah. So that's, that's a pretty cool compliment. And I always think of um, Adam is a pretty amazing hugger. Okay. Lo- okay. Loves a good hug. So, you know, whenever I hear that groove and that slow feel, I can just imagine him walking towards you and coming in for a big hug. And, <laughs> you know, that's hopefully what the song sort of sounds like. Wow. Do you know what? I, I, I so much wanted to talk about this song because, and I, I mentioned Adam, just my, my relationship with his work. Um, yeah. When I heard the piece, say, so I'll give you one more story. I just, yeah, it just sounded like it was very sweet and authentic and, yeah, what I think of when I think of Adam Levi. Uh, Levy, just, again, through my very uh, at a distance understanding of who he is. So, um, yeah. yeah, cool, Yeah, I think, it, I think it's done a pretty good job of sort of personifying him in a lot of ways. So, um, And what does he make of this? Um, like, Adam's a pretty uh, modest guy. You know, before I, I did it, I kind of just, well, one, I just checked that that chord progression wasn't a song he was just about put out. Oh, okay. Yep. That would have been a like, bummer. No, I just made it up. I don't, I don't really know what it was. So I, I just checked that first and, um, uh, yeah, he seems, he seems cool with it. I know he's written songs, you know, named after other people before, so he gets it. Yeah. Right. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, but it, it'll always be a, a pretty special song. So, uh, and that chord progression is just like messed up. It's, it's like, it's sort of always sort of turning on itself. So it's a real twisted a playover. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So say it again. The, so yeah. F, F to. Can you run those chords again? Can I play them yeah. or say them? Yeah, or either both. Well, yeah, it's F major seven. Yeah. Then E7. Yeah. A minor 7. Ah, yeah, yeah. Then the C7. To C dominant 7. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. So it's all kind of A minor, A harmonic minor, A everything. And then the that C7, that's the that's the yeah, special source. Th- throws you back into sort of that Mixolydian vibe for a second. Yeah, and then you can just nice. go to town on it and just get every other thing in between and go... And just uh, completely mess it up. Oh, that's uh, cool, man. You know, as a side note, I actually, I had a lesson with uh, Julian Large a few weeks ago. And I figured the way to get the most out of it was just get him to improvise over a few of my chord progressions oh, just to see how great. he would approach it. Oh, that's approach really cool. And um, I got him to play over that chord progression and it just, it was terrifying. You know, someone with his <laughs> knowledge and facility um could just throw at it in you know instantly so it's it's a pretty cool framework to play with nice that's a really cool way to get a lesson as well yeah um it's a beautiful tone on that and and the next tune number three leaving the beautiful tremolo is that is that an amp or how are you getting how are you pulling that tone? um all right, yeah, it's it's just uh, Strymon Flint, actually. Oh, it's nothing. you've been playing that for a while. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I I, I guess since our last podcast, I haven't really changed much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I kind of found the gear I, I like and um, have just sort of stuck with it. The only difference um, 
you know, I did use a different overdrive pedal on a lot of the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I think I'm just looking at it now. All but one song, I had an overdrive pedal on for the whole song. Okay. Um, so, so on Adam Levy and Leaving, um, both those songs I use my Nick Huber signature. Okay, yeah, yeah. Street Bergen, so it's the giant telly vibe with yeah. gold foils, but Beautiful. hollow body and it's a cross of a lot of things. And um, then I, yeah, I just had... Um, the what did i use for an overdrive uh, a free the tone sov one or sov two uh, i can't remember now okay nice, nice so it's a little it's a little red pedal like sort of most famously it was remade a little while as a matt schofield signature pedal okay right um and it just um it has a really similar feel to the the Nordveng number one overdrive I've been using for a long time, but it, it's physically smaller, okay. which which makes a bit of a difference when I was touring so much. So I sure. got one of these, and um, and then it just it produces just a little bit more bottom end than the like the Nordveng is a clon, so it tends to take out a bit of the bottom end as you increase the drive just a little bit. So. This this pedal doesn't do that as much, so it sort of helped do that. And because uh, a lot of the guitar parts, and in general when I record, I tend to record at pretty low volumes, mm-hmm. so I sort of just need that those drive pedals just to give it a little push. Yeah, okay. They seem to be quite dynamic as well, because you you know sometimes you dig in, it gets a little gnarlier, you back off, and it, it seems like things are cleaning up a bit. Yeah, and that's that's what's cool about well both those pedals is they do that really well and you know actually that's why I ended up leaving. Oh, that's a pun that I wasn't meant to use. Um, <laughs> track, I, I ended three. up redoing <laughs> a lot of the guitar parts from LA because okay. you know in classic guitar player form I yep. bought a new pedal about two weeks before going and decided <laughs> to use that on the whole record. Yeah, and I got home and I just couldn't stand it um it was a it was a very dynamic um very hip current you know drive pedal that everyone uses or is starting to use and I got super excited about it but you know I got home and went oh it's nice if I play soft but then when I was you know playing hard especially in the song leaving with like it's got some pretty deep chords in it, like just big, you know, low E7 chords. Mm-hmm. They would just turn into fuzz. And okay. I was like, oh, it's it's too much. The kind of thing that works in your headphones when you're in the studio, when your mix isn't that great and you're trying to smash through the songs in three days. But sure, yeah, um, yeah. yeah long term, I just couldn't deal with that being my voice. So <laughs> yeah, okay. hence, hence when I got back to Australia to sort of mix it, um, at the little studio I've still got set up here, I decided that nah, I better start again. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's where the Free the Tone came, came yeah, in. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Sounds cool, man. Hey, harmonically, um, I mean, there's lots of beautiful moments. A couple of tunes stuck out. Um, jungle, Jungle, you, you seem to stretch out a little a little bit harmonically there. And, and Overuse, there was some really tasty dissonant stuff going on. Can you... 
Can you talk yeah. through, to, through that stuff? For sure. So Jungle Jungle, I think it really came from trying to get somewhere closer to like that Julian Large vibe. Uh-huh. So if people aren't familiar with Julian Large, like go and check it out and just be terrified. Yes. Uh, yeah. He's, um, you know, almost by far one of the most amazing technicians on the guitar, but at the same time plays all the cool things. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know how he does it. And so I sort of wrote that, I would say, in that vein. And... Um, in a lot of ways, it's sort of an extended blues, mm-hmm. the chord structure. Um, and then I just sort of kept adding more changes as it went. And then, you know, certain melodic things meant it extended the form. So I think it's more like 20 bars or something. I okay. can't quite remember. Um, so it's, and so the idea was it for it to be a little bit of a twister as far as an improvisation sort of thing goes. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a fun one to play. And I, I, to be honest, I feel like I'm still trying to work how to play that song. Um, cause while it seems to be very sort of straightforward jazz, it sort of isn't at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, um, I've especially been having a lot of fun in isolation times, trying to work out how I might, have to play that song solo okay, at some okay. point. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, you, you seem to do some um uh, just some longer single note passages, I guess, in there in, in some in some parts. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah, definitely just trying, you know, I I've listened so much to Julian over the last mm-hmm. few years that I think that just sort of flew in there and trying to recreate that but still stay true to who I am in a lot of ways. So, sure. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a fun tune. That's great, man. How about overuse? What what what's what are those little dissonant kind of clusters in the Yeah, in the so head? overuse is definitely um, a Schofield influence thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially uh, I guess the tonality I'd used at the end, like using the bridge pickup sort of vibe. Um, and it was, it was initially written out of, I, I had to do a gig back in Australia. I think it was when I just got back and from the U S and I was just trying to flood the bank account any way I could. So I got a gig backing a singer that ended up being, you know, uh, I think it ended up being three hours longer than quoted. Okay. <laughs> and, and, um, you know, it was just me and her. So I sort of had to know everything and I'd done all the work, but then I got there and realized that she didn't really know the songs. So it was just, and then there were like fights at this place. I remember the bathroom got destroyed. Um, there was a glassing. It was just, it was just ridiculous. It it was full (laughs) rock and roll. And then by the end of the night, like, I think just, cause I get some bad carpal tunnel sort of stuff. Okay. Um, sometimes. And, but I find it's really connected to, um, purpose and my emotion. Mm-hmm. So like if I'm having a bad time, it gets really bad. And by the last song, I remember I could only play with my index finger above the neck to play the bass line. Like my hand just could not hold down the strings anymore. Wow. Wow. And I, 
I think I was only a couple of weeks from, I think I was a week before I was heading back to the US on that two month tour and I was slightly freaking out. So I woke up the next morning and instead of like resting, I just picked up a guitar straight away. So this song sort of came out from that. And then I think within about half an hour, I felt like I could play normally again. It was like all my body just reset itself and all the stress dispersed. Um, so that's why I wanted the song to have these sort of awkward harmony things in it, <laughs> you know, have that idea of happiness, but stress at the same time. So it is all those, um, the chord voicings are very close clustered. Like I think the very first chord of the melody, um, is technically a D seven sharp nine, but the, the uh this the minor third and the major third which is in that quarter together so you've got okay. that ugly um yeah, yeah and then i just kept following that theme as i worked it out can you can you play through that idea? And... sorry can you play th- uh through that that yeah the yeah. head sort so of that thing? is yeah. um So it's, it just, the idea was that just that it would constantly sort of clash in this weird little circle. Um, and then, you know, but then the chord progression underneath is, is fairly simple and really at its essence is just one to four. So, you know, improvising over it was just fun because you could just sort of play with everything yeah, and cool. sort of go on autopilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, man, I really, I really dug it. But one thing with your music, I don't know if I said this last time we spoke as well, but it reminds me a little bit of in the way that Eric Johnson's music impacts me, not not sonically or compositionally, but even at its grittiest, there's um, it's like music without malice. There's always an optimism and uh, and uh, I don't know, like a full heartedness, something about it, and I think. I think it's probably something to do with you, with your personality. And, um, yeah, there's always some joy or something in there. Even in the gritty bits, there's some, yeah, optimism, yeah. I guess. That's that's the word. I, I don't know if I'm just making that up or if that's... Um... Well, thank you, for one. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's definitely always my my goal, you know, is that it's not about... Yeah, like I just want the music to be happy. I don't really want, even when it is darker and, you know, slower and a little bit heavier, mm-hmm. that there always would be an element of optimism to it. Um, and, you know, I I sort of go under the moniker of a jazz guitarist, but that's probably just because there's nothing else that really describes things <laughs> any better these days as genres get more and more diverse in the hip hop realm. They get less diverse in everything else. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, <laughs> um, but you know, like while I definitely have all that jazz harmony, the really intense out there jazz has never been something I've wanted to make, I guess. Like I'll play it and if, and definitely have fun with it. But as far as putting it out a record and having my name on, it, it's just not somewhere I've wanted to be yet. So, uh, and yeah, definitely, you know, 
projecting optimism and having an element of sharing that. And that if you're going to listen to instrumental music, that you come out feeling something or taking away from it in some way that you might not expect is always, it has definitely been my goal. Yeah. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's always interesting how we receive art and, and, how it's projected and, and all that kind of stuff, but if it if it lines yeah. up, that's an interesting thing too. And I mean, you don't you don't get the chance to ask the artist half the time, not half the time, most yeah. of the time. So, yeah, interesting for me to be able to um, talk to you about that. That's, it's, that's, that's really interesting, cool. man. I've got to go and listen to more Eric Johnson by the sound of it. Maybe, and I, I don't know. It, it could be. It could be. Well, lots of I, things. You know, I I know a good friend of mine. Well, he's the owner of Two Rock amplifiers now but he has a lot to do with eric johnson now okay um eric's just started using their amps oh and wow he he just he just says eric is the best guy ever right like he's just so lovely and so generous and um so it, you know obviously most of us know what a tone nut he is mm. but you know so um enthusiastic about everything still it's really he, like it's really contagious his enthusiasm for it all yeah nice that's cool yeah that's awesome yeah and uh and you you're obviously you're a two rock guy did you take a two rock with you or that's probably a harder thing to lug on an airplane well yeah you don't lug amps around and then there's always the power issue oh yeah sure yeah um look my my relationship with two rock is they they are basically family like the two owners now are great friends. Um, you know, I've stayed at their houses hanging out on multiple occasions. So, um, they, I had a two rock in LA, yep. uh, from quite a number of years ago that just lived there okay. <laughs> with a friend and I'd just come and grab it. Nice. And, um, when I got to LA last year, just because this was a bit of an older model, they hooked me up with their you know, latest little combo for me to have around LA. And then when I wasn't there, I'd just drop it into someone that they, you know, they have someone that would want to check it out, an artist or something. So I'd just drop it to their house while I went on tour for a few weeks and then um, go and steal it back from them. Um, yeah, because the, those amps, you know, they're just a part of my sound as anything else. And the biggest thing with them is just the way they feel when you play it. Uh, like it's the, the way I always equate it to it is just to the whole acoustic guitar thing is that they, they they almost feel like the soundboard of an acoustic guitar. They translate and compress the same way that an acoustic guitar does, okay. at least for me. And that's, you know, that's sort of why I've stuck with them. And the first one I got was back in 2007 so it's been a, you know, a 13, 14 year relationship with the company now. And, um, you know, I'm happy to play through other amps. It's not, it's not that drastic, but they're just so good. I don't even bother looking at anything else. You know, I'll, I'll still look at guitars and pickups all day, but yeah, amplifiers, it's just like, oh, I'm done. I don't need to really sure. bother. Yeah. I, I think you, I think you're doing all right too. Having, yeah, uh, having heard your tone, man, it's so good, so yeah. cool. What's um What's happening on Citrus? What What guitar are you playing on that? That's that seems to be a different place. Yeah, cool. So that is um, 
and this is uh, we'll go back into the full story of this as well um citrus was written about one of the houses that we lived in like in those three four week periods when we we're in la and it was very similar like eerily similar to the house we lived in in newcastle for a long time um before we sort of packed all up and chased the dream okay so it was it was sort of funny to be in this place that was like familiar but also not at the same time um yeah wow. and so so that so the house was on citrus avenue in los angeles so that's where the name comes from okay and when I was uh, when I was there, I was very fortunate to have a loan of a one of Ken Parker's archtop guitars. Ah, okay. Which um, are a whole story in itself. Like, so Ken Parker is the guy who's famous for designing the Fly. Yes. Uh, yep. You know, uh, he won't mind me saying this. I think it's one of the ugliest guitars I've ever seen. <laughs> I would never, ever pick one up until he explained the design principle behind it. And then it started to make sense. Okay. Um, But Ken's first love and what he first started building before he got into all this was archtop acoustic guitars. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. And and that was very rare as well. He didn't didn't do a lot of them. Well, initially, like, he, he made three, I think back in the seventies and they were sort of revolutionary. And then he went on this tangent into the fly and all that. Okay. And in mid two thousands, he started building archtop guitars again. And so I think he's built about 30 now of these guitars. Like he only builds three or four a year. They're that labor intensive and they're works of engineering art. Like if you go and check them out, they're Ken, Ken Parker archtops. And, dot com and it's just there and when you play one you've never played anything like it there is no other guitar like it that exists like it explodes when you've hit the low e string like you feel like the guitar is going to explode acoustically they're wow. just ridiculous and um yeah ken offered to loan me one for a while and so i you know jumped at the opportunity to have it so i wrote this song on that guitar uh, but unfortunately, I don't have that guitar still because they are in the vicinity of forty thousand US dollars. Okay, yeah, <laughs> um, <Fair> enough. <laughs> so, I, I I have a similar acoustic archtop which was built by uh, Ryan Thorell in Logan, Utah, uh, and it's it's quite a small body for an archtop guitar. It's fifteen inches across, and uh, it's got an oval hole, so the hole it doesn't have f holes. It's like the hole is like where you'd normally have an acoustic. So it really, it really is an acoustic guitar more than anything. Um, and it's hard, especially like, uh, you know, talking about Australia to hear a real arch top guitar because they're just not around and people don't make them. Um, but there's just something really unique about that tonality that I really love. So that's what I used on this song. So it's what you're hearing is like, the there's a ribbon mic in front of the sound hole of the guitar and mm-hmm. then it's also plugged into my two rock ah oh, i wondered so, so, yeah so you're yeah, hearing yeah. both at the same time okay um the combination of sort of the two tones so the magnetic pickup picking up the strings and the uh uh 
the actual real acoustic tone of the guitar. And then the pickup I have in that guitar at the moment uh, is made by a company called Crevo or a, a guy, I think. And so it's, it's this super thin pickup and it's very microphonic. So it picks up the whole tonality of the guitar through the magnetic pickup as well. Like you can tap the body of the guitar and it actually comes out through the amp. Um, so I got that for the, that guitar just to really sort of convey the acousticness of yeah, it through right. any amp, which has been fun. So nice. Uh, and, you know, this was one again, like where we, I redid the guitar in Australia cause I didn't take that guitar with me to the U S when we did these sessions. And when I pulled the tone, I had so much fun playing it. Like I think when I opened the, tra- <laughs> when I opened the, the session, of the recording. I think I did like 30 takes of the song. Okay. I've, I've got a feeling the take that's on the album is probably take one. Okay. <laughs> but I just like the tone in my headphones of that somewhere in between an acoustic and an electric guitar was just yeah. so much fun to play with that, mm. you know, I must've recorded for hours just playing the song over and over again and exploring like just the sound of the instrument and the way the harmonics would hit through it all. So, um, yeah, that was so much fun to record that oh, song. That's a cool story too because whenever you hear someone doing like 30 takes or something, it's usually the exact opposite, you know, that they can't get something down or they're chasing a tone. You, you've just kept going because you're having a great time. That's really cool. Well, let, look, let's be honest. In the moment, I was probably I, – I knew I'd got the tone. Like I was having a ball, but I didn't think I was playing very well. So it was – I was in, I remember enjoying every take, but at the same time going, Oh, I've got to get this. I've got to nail this. Uh-huh. And then as is often the case, you go back to the first take and go, Oh yeah, that was the one. <laughs> That's cool. man. Hey, so at yeah. the moment, um, Adam Levi and shipping have been released as singles. When's, yeah. when's the album being released in full? So the, the album is coming out on August 7. Okay. Um, cool. And, yeah, so uh, it, it has been delayed, the release. You know, like initially this whole album was meant to come out in May mm-hmm. with uh, touring through the US, but sure. that all changed. So yeah. um, decided to sort of leave it and hopefully take the time to be able to f- actually promote an album properly rather than just put it out whilst I'm in the middle of everything else. Yep, yep. Yeah. Sure. And and what are your plans in regards to the US? Is it is it everything just too murky at the moment to know or Look, yeah, it's I there are no plans. That's that's, you know, the simplest thing I think with the world right now. It's just I'm so what happened for us was our flight back to the US for the, you know, foreseeable future was March 26th. And okay. I think everything went crazy about March 18 yeah yep yep like i you know i know i started to have gigs cancelled march 16 okay in the u.s like or people starting to go oh i don't think this is going to go ahead and then it was like oh there's no international flights the world's shutting down only a few days later so we yeah it's i'm just so thankful to be in australia now yeah like, i'm so stoked for you know a number of reasons mm-hmm. um and I'm just going to, I'm just making the most of that right now and just reevaluating 
uh, sort of life from there, you know, we, because we were sort of, uh, just about to move, um, currently living with my amazing parents. So, um, you know, which is, which is amazing that we were able to spend that time with them and hang out. Um, but we're just working out, you know, okay. So we've basically got to set up life here again, rather than LA. So, um, it's, it's all just the adventure of sort of doing that. And then obviously the future of touring is just so uncertain right now. Sure. Yeah. People, people are talking about booking things in, but in reality, I just, can't see a lot of those things happening yeah. in Australia. I think we'll, we'll be, you know, sort of getting there soon. And even I've already done a couple of little shows, mm-hmm. uh, in Newcastle, which has been fun, but also a little weird, but yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, I'm, it's just, who knows, you know, maybe sure. there'll be another album from me in a few months. Okay, <laughs> stockpiling these songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. exactly. Yeah, it, it is. It is, uh, it is strange times. Even just in the last week, I mean, between us talking um, and what happens in a couple of weeks too, when your record comes out, who knows what's going to happen? But um, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, I was starting to get gigs. I mean, I had all gigs, like cover band gigs, weekend gigs, cancelled, and then I, I've starting to get some dates back sort of towards the end of the year my first gig's actually in newcastle uh mid-august but now again just with what's been going on the last week or so i've got you know i'm not totally sure that's going to happen yeah as well yeah, so just, yeah it's just so hard to know it's funny like when you're especially with music because it's so dependent on planning ahead yes and yeah. then you know the thought the, the couple of gigs I've had, I've basically been said like they've been like on a Saturday or Sunday and they've contacted me on Thursday mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. I, I think in two days time I can do a gig. That's cool. Right, yeah. But planning any further than that, it sure. just seems sort of weird. So like, yeah, we're mid July now when we're doing this uh, interview. And so my album does come out in only like, three or four weeks yeah. and I've been debating whether to do an album launch and oh. I just can't commit yet. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, I don't know if it's any consolation, I don't know if that's the right term, but I guess everyone's in the same boat. People are cr- I, I creating I think that's what makes it and, easier because like yeah, yeah. music and art becomes very competitive mm-hmm. and especially with like the whole social media thing, it's really easy to just go, oh man, that guy's doing that or getting that gig and this. And right now, like we're all the same and, and it's really easy as I, you know, and that was a huge part of me moving to the U S is cause it's really easy to go, oh wow, that person gets to do that because they're in LA. Mm-hmm. Whereas now we're almost in this weird situation where I've got people going, wow, you're doing a gig. Yes. I could only dream of doing yeah, a gig. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just it does definitely make it easier that that sort of competitive and comparing sort of thing is a little bit on the back burner right now, and you can maybe concentrate more on, you know, actually making music and making art yep. uh, in some ways, as long as you can financially survive, which sure. is you know a whole nother. Yeah, it's the discussion. other trick. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, mate, I'm thrilled you you are still making music and um. As I've said, I love the album. I'm so so happy I got to have a. Um, I've been able to listen to it and get into it, and um, 
yeah, really excited about it coming out in August and whatever the future looks like. Um, and yeah, fingers crossed we're heading, we'll head out of this tunnel. Um, we're really interested to see what, what happens next for you with it all, Adam. Yeah, thanks so much, Matt. It's a pleasure to um, be back on here and thanks for asking all the cool questions. All right, there you go, Adam Miller. Now, the interview's not quite over yet because when uh, when we finished up, we were still chatting for a while and I forgot that Adam had his guitar, so I said, hey, could you could you just play us out um, a little bit, play something from the record, which, which he very kindly did, and we hear a little bit about the story of his new Collins guitar. So don't go anywhere. That's coming up in about 30 seconds. Uh, before I go, just number one, thanks for tuning in. I, I'm thrilled that that people are enjoying the show and and that you're listening and that you're taking the time. So thank you so much. Uh, If you're enjoying the show, why not share an episode uh, through your social media or whatever? That would be really, really cool. Uh, We do have our PayPal tip jar if you want to drop a tip. And uh, last thing, please check out Adam's new record. There'll there'll be links in our show notes and uh, it's going to be well worth your time. It's a fantastic album and I was super stoked to talk about it today. All right, back to the uh, the finish off with Adam. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, cool. Well, it's just my mic, and I've got. I just bought this Collings archtop guitar. Nice. From uh, Gladesville last week. Oh, okay. From Guitar Factory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they're the they're the acoustic guys. Yeah, just went a bit crazy and um. Nice. Yeah, got this. It'd been sitting on their wall for years. So. So it's got that awesome in-between electric arch-top sound. Yeah, man. So cool. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'll hit red again. Cool. Well, we might as well play Adam Levy quick. All right. Here it is.
Oh man, that's the best. <laughs> Thank you so much.